Hello, and welcome to Parallel, a tech podcast with accessibility sprinkles. I'm your host, Shelley Brisbane. It is episode 24 for September 10th, 2019, and it's great to have you here. And after a long summer of very apple things, ironically, this show will post on the day of an Apple event. We're not going to talk about Apple stuff much at all. We're going to talk about the recently released Android 10 with two people who know it a lot better than I do, and they are... My guest, uh, Florence Ion, who is a co-host of Material right here on Relay FM, and also a technology journalist covering Google and Android and all sorts of things like that. Hi, Flo, and welcome. Hi, Shelley. It's so nice to be back. It's good to have you. And also making a return visit is Mr. J.J. Maddow, co-host of the Blind Bargains podcast and proprietor of the AT Guys. Hey, Jay, how are you? Hey, how's it going? It's good to... Uh to finally be back on Android shows again. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, we'll try and do more of those going forward. I, I like it when guests know more than I do about a topic, and I can just like, what's the deal with? That's probably what we'll do for the whole show. Hey, before we get started with the show, I want to let you know about something really great and really important that Relay FM is doing as a network, and I'm super happy to be a part of it, and that is fundraising for St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital. It's a great institution that provides cancer care for kids without cost. It does research to try and find cures to get childhood cancer to be a thing of the past. And Relay FM network hosts and listeners have been joining together all month to give money as a group to St. Jude with a goal of $75,000. And I'll tell you, when I first heard that goal, $75,000, I thought, wow, that is an incredible amount of money. How in the heck are the folks at Relay all going to get together and give that much money? Well, as it happens, people who listen to these shows are super generous and super big-hearted. And so every time I hear an update about how our fundraising is going, it's an even bigger number. And I want to make sure parallel listeners have a chance to be part of that. So if you are interested and able to contribute to St. Jude this month, please go to stjude.org slash parallel and give as generously as you possibly can. And you will be helping end childhood cancer and also to make sure that the families of those kids who do have childhood cancer don't have to worry about financial considerations while they're dealing with their kid's illness. Go to stjude.org slash parallel and make your generous contribution. Thanks so much. So Android 10 was released this past week. And I, being an iOS person, am going to ask a few questions about sort of what the feeling is, what the release practices Google has, what it's like for you guys who who cover Android 10. We in the iOS world are used to these uh, big flashy announcements, and then they wait three or four months, and they put some betas out, and then they finally release an operating system. And I know Google has had Android uh, versions out in the wild, at least since the spring, when I saw a, a developer or a preview. I don't even know if it was a developer preview. So I guess I'm wondering, to the extent you guys know, how does the process that Google goes through with new Android releases differ from the sort of dog and pony shows that Apple likes to do? Uh, I would say it's a kind of a similar dog and pony show. Maybe it tries to be more uh, subdued or may- the cooler or it tries to be, you know, the cooler like hey guys welcome to android like let's do this because you know it's at the shoreline that's where the developers conference happens every year which is an outdoor venue in northern california so it tries to be very like hey come and hang out for a couple days we'll do like a festival style keynote and then you can all like play with google stuff out the sun and drinking smoothies and shakes uh and then and then we just sort of wait for the beta to come through. Um, Usually it's on day one, 
they're the first beta is available. And usually the developers have started offering us kind of like, here's how many betas to expect before we'll hit the final version. So we'll know like, oh, well, we're at beta six. So that means any day now we'll get the final version coming through. And of course, the caveat is always if you're going to jump on the beta because you are a diehard user, uh, which I am. You also have to take into account the fact that things may not be as stable as you like them. But, you know, that's kind of what's offered up to those diehards. Just say, hey, you want to come on and try this out with us? Help us figure out bugs. Help us figure out what features are going to make it into the final version. And now we have the final version. And to be honest, not every feature that's kind of touted, it makes it into the first final version (laughs) (laughs) is that pretty standard that the final version does not deliver all that was promised Uh, i mean i would think so to an extent you look through some of the release notes and there are certainly things that were announced of course last year the the poster trial was duplex and we're still kind of waiting for all that to roll out and there's been various especially with the assistant type features that they're looking for the wow factor at io but they're still working on implementing them. The whole release schedule actually was lengthened. I'm not sure if this was the first year this happened, but by the time we were at IO, we were on beta three. The, the third beta oh, came yeah. out there. And that right now it just seems like it was so long ago. And you know, I had yeah. to go <laughs> look through notes today to see, wait a minute, which features really were in 10? Because I've been running betas for six months and it's been very incremental, the changes that have uh, come in 10. I was going to ask about that because, as again, I'm sorry I have to reference Apple a few times just because it's the way we do it as people who do betas and stuff. As an Apple person, you have this sort of luxury. If you're an iPad person, you can put the beta on the iPad and, and leave your phone pristine. So so do you guys have to have a strategy where you have a beta device or do you put it on your phone and pray that that'll work out? I was laughing because I was going to say we would put it on a tablet, but tablets don't really exist as much in the Android world as they (laughs) used to. This is Um, my point. (laughs) We, I have a Pixel Three, which is my daily driver, and I have a Pixel Three A, which is kind of the the cheaper, yeah, bare bones, yeah, bare Mm -hmm. bones version of the Pixel Three, and uh, the Pixel. Three is my beta device, so I go all in on the high-end one, and then the Pixel 3a is my backup device in case anything goes wrong. (laughs) I do exactly what I tell our listeners not to do, is I put it on my daily driver device this cycle, and that was my only Android, or is the only Android device that I have. The one thing I did do is there is a big uh, email discussion, Google group for TalkBack users, so I did at least go on there, because sometimes the betas... Talkback is not the first thing that gets addressed as far as when new features are added. But once I saw enough other people that were, yeah, this is still working. It's not going to break anything major. I was all in pretty much from beta one this time on my primary device. How'd that work out? It was fine. It really was nothing major that, um, you know, there were little quirks here and there. But it also gave me the opportunity if I wanted to, to report uh, features and bugs, which is good, especially for accessibility, which is a much smaller pie. I think it does help to have some people on the beta to kind of monitor what is going on to make sure nothing major gets broken because we've seen features that have made it to the final release before that just were never reported because no one noticed it. 
So speaking of pie, and I know that uh, on the Blind Bargains cast, segues <laughs> are a big thing, and they are not in my world, but I just had to reach for it. Speaking of pie. <laughs> That's a good one. I know, right? And I, I made it worse by talking about it. Uh, but for, for the first time, we have an Android release that is not named after a delicious snack. They've moved to Android 10. So I guess I'm wondering uh, if you have feels about that. Do you miss the delicious snack? Are you glad they're not play- they stopped playing around? What's a queen cake? Because apparently that's what it was going to be. <laughs> I I had to look that up too when I heard that. I have no. It sounds like not. It doesn't sound like anything American. Obviously, hence the queen. Uh, <laughs> I I don't know that I'm that upset about it because when you kind of hear the reasoning for why they got rid of the candy names and the fact that they were so localized to a North American audience. I understand. I mean, Android's been trying to establish itself. Google's been trying to establish Android as a global brand uh, for years. And for them to really stand behind that, you have to have something that's globally understood. And I don't think going with, like, pie is not a dessert. It's not a thing in a lot of regions. I mean, there are variations of it. But what, you know, what about folks in Central Asia who have desserts that, you know, aren't represented uh, or in other parts of the world? I can imagine it feels like, oh, well, OK, I guess we're just left out of this naming convention. Uh, plus, numbers are easier to track. Yeah, the only pushback I'll give on that a little bit is, I mean, at least in the re- more recent versions, they were doing both. So it wasn't just Android Pie. It was mm-hmm. mostly Android 9 Pie. So I mostly referred to it in developer circle as a number. And then if the dessert came along, now mind you, Q is a problem. Queen cake, quince tart. I don't even know what that is. You know, I was trying to think of quiche or something. So Q was the perfect letter if they were going to get out of this business to do it. Nine pie is my favorite pie. It's just delicious. Oh, yeah. Right. So, I, I mean, it seems to make sense. It's a little jarring just because they had been doing the other thing so long. And it's like all it of is. a sudden they looked up and went, oh, this is a problem, which is kind of weird. Right. And any diehard Android fan could recite them in order, you know, from C well, onward. Of course, and, no and in fact, at a at a at a podcast event not long ago, uh, some of <laughs> us were asked Family Feud style to name <laughs> Android operating systems, and uh, I was first off the draw. And uh, and my my uh, what I, I came up with lollipop straight out of the gate, and uh, that was not the number one answer. We were playing Family Feud, and uh, I was I was disappointed. But I, it, it's interesting to me, like. Um, we don't have to expound on this any further, but it is interesting to me, like, which Android operating system would come to the top of your mind should you be asked, name one. And for me, for some reason, it was Lollipop, and I have no idea why. I mean, I used it, I guess, but I I don't care. <laughs> that and was you probably a, could, you yeah. could name all the, the Mac animals and tigers and lions and bears and that, I'm sure. That also came to. up, yes. <laughs> I, and, uh, yeah, tigers, lions, leopards, snow leopards, yes. and mountain lions. Ca- and, and California <laughs> landscapes. And cal- obscure California <laughs> land masses or landscapes, whatever, so... Uh, yeah, we're all going to numbers now. But uh, So let's dig into some of the features of Android 10. Uh, similar to iOS, oddly, a dark mode is a thing in Android 10. Now, dark mode has existed in Android before, but there's more, more better dark mode, more theming options. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the reason I'm saying it like that is because I had, I've had it enabled since I think I, I hopped on on beta three uh, is when I hopped on and I've had it enabled since then. I also before that had a launcher, which is a thing you can install on Android to kind of force your own, you know, whatever you want your interface to look like. The problem is that it, they say it extends system wide, but there's still some Google apps that haven't fully implemented it. 
So for instance, uh, when I'm on my home screen and I flip over to, I call it the Google News shelf. It's kind of the shelf that lives on the very left of the home screen. And that's where it has like aggregates all of your relevant news that Google thinks you'll, you're interested in. And I get over there and it's stark white. And I've seen some screenshots floating around on sites like The Verge and I see that it's supposed to be dark and it's not. And so I'm a little like, I don't know, it just, it feels maybe unfinished. Maybe it's because I'm on a launcher it's doing that. I'm not quite sure, but uh, it doesn't seem like fully integrated. And of course, I think it also depends on the developers who have uh, added that ability uh, or so to speak to their own apps. Do people who make launchers tend to stick by whatever guidelines Google offers, or is the point of having a launcher that you can kind of do whatever you want? Uh, the big launchers do. So I'm using a launcher called Launcher Launcher. There's other ones called uh, there's Action Launcher and there's Nova Launcher. So those are really big names. If you you know if you chat with any uh, longtime Android users, they kind of know what you're talking about. And those folks are usually pretty good about being. Uh, fast with updates and following along software updates. But I, Google's also done a lot of changes to Android 10 that's very interface, visuals-based. Uh, and I, I mean, I don't know the ins and outs of that because I'm not a developer myself, but I can imagine that there's a lot to wrangle there if you are the developer of a, uh, of a launcher. Yeah, the other thing too, and when it comes to launchers and a lot of these third-party apps, when every time there's a change to something new, there's going to be a subset of people that say, I liked it the old way. And then the launcher has the opportunity to come back in and like, all right, we will introduce the feature to give you back the feature that you had before mm -hmm. Google took away the feature. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's very true. JJ, do people on the Google Eyes free list uh, talk much about uh, dark mode or uh, accessibility stuff for low vision folks? A little bit. You know, it's very interesting to me, the group of people, especially on that list and often in my niche, focuses so much on talkback and blindness features where dark mode is probably one that doesn't get talked about as much as it should. A lot of your low vision users or people who might have minor uh, visual challenges are probably the ones that benefit the most, yet they are not the people that generally would associate with other low vision users, they're just going to happen to benefit from the feature and may very much appreciate it, but you don't hear a lot of vocal you know, yay about it. That's kind of true in a lot of accessibility, I think. And and I've heard statistics, which always surprised me because of my own experience, that there are a lot more low vision people than there are blind people, but they don't tend to congregate because their interests are so different from one another. Or identify. Yeah. Well, that too. That too. Right. Um, so, Flo, you mentioned color schemes as, as mm -hmm. an accessibility feature. So walk me through that. Is that connected to dark mode in any way or is it supposed to be an accessibility oriented feature? Uh, I don't think it is. By the way, I just want to add a quick clarification. I just switched launchers to the Pixel launcher. Dark theme is now prevalent all over. It is in the Google News shelf. It's It was totally because I was using a launcher. So there's something... <laughs> That I figured out. Good today. to know. Ah, there Whoopsie! Uh, is because I, I always forget to change over. I, I have a launcher that does custom icons, and I, I like I like my custom icons. Um, the color scheme, the theming that I had mentioned to you was so the colors that Google picked are all accessible colors now. So they chose a palette that everyone can see. 
Um, and the theming in particular, I think, is more of an aesthetic thing to make it so that if you have a case, a background, you really want to get into, I mean, the whole point of a lot of Android users' lives is being able to just go in and make the interface look the way that you want it to look with whatever case, you know, whatever pop socket you have on. And I think the idea was to bring that uh, bring that all around just to allow people to go in and, and do that natively instead of having to deal with a launcher. See, that makes me want to fool around with it because I uh, sort of rear back and go, oh, everyone can see those colors. Well, let's just see if that's accurate. Yeah. Because, yeah. And I guess the issue is how many options do you have to customize them because, you know, when it's, when it's dark mode or light mode or when their variants are somewhat small, uh, sometimes there are folks who, who aren't taken care of in that regard. And but. And by the way, that theming is only available through the developer options, which is like a thing that you have to enable by tapping a bunch uh, in the settings and then saying, yes, I want to be a developer. Uh, the accent colors, there are about seven different ones, in case anyone is curious. Black, green, purple, cinnamon, ocean, space, and orchid. So. Cinnamon, ocean, and orchid. All right. So we've gotten away from candy, <laughs> but we have really peaceful sort of uh, very thematic sort of colors. Good to know. Thanks, Google. <laughs> So let's talk about gestures. And I, to be honest, don't know. I mean, the, the the article I read specifically said, and I quote, the gestures were designed to be more like iPhone. And I know that the Android gestures up to now have been, you know, at variance with what iPhone users are are familiar with. But I guess, is that fair? And is it, does it cover what has changed in terms of gestures? I don't, I never use gestures on the iPhone, so I can't speak to that. Uh, specifically, I've only used them here on the Pixel 3 in uh, the beta, Q-beta, and now Android 10. I don't like them. They're, in my opinion, a very different way of using Android that I'm not used to. I I really like the two-button methodology, which is what I'm using right now, which is there's like a home pill in the middle that you tap, and that takes you to your home screen, and then... Only when it's applicable, there's a little back arrow that shows up at the bottom. And I like that because it I know, okay, I'm just going to go back one layer. And instinctually, I know kind of like which app I'm in, where I was at last, and, and how to sort of use that. There's also a three-button mechanism that they still allow you to use, which is the one where it has a back arrow, home button, and then I, uh, basically like a multitasking list. The gestures are just, it's just like a home pill. I call it a pill because it looks like a pill at the bottom. Um, And then you're supposed to swipe up from the sides, from the corners to bring up the Google Assistant. So if you want to, you know, bring up a command or turn on a TV or have it read some information on screen for you. And then there's a specific gesture to bring up the app drawer. And usually to do that, you would just swipe up and bring it up with all the apps that you have installed. And then a half gesture from the middle is supposed to enable multitasking. But it's such a different way of using Android. It's it's not it's not an organic thing. And I think it's just because we aren't used to that as Android users. It's like, whoa, what happened? Yeah. And uh, in the beginning, Android... <laughs> Honestly, one of the reasons I went to it is because I was scared of the iPhone. 
<laughs> I wanted I wanted buttons, and back then we still had scroll wheels and uh, and buttons on the phone itself. I always liked the two button thing. I mean, when I was yeah. first, when I would first use Android, of course, it was a way for me to get back to where I came from. It's great for a new user because you just go, okay, I was just here. I'd like to go back there. But it made sense to me. And I'm so that's gone or is that? No, you can get to it. Yeah. Yeah. So the two button and now even the three button, it's kind of interesting. The Pixel 3 users did not have access to the old three button one until now. But you can Mm -hmm. go into settings, system, gestures, and you can pretty much have your pick of do you want it the current way, last year's way, or the really old way. So I actually just reverted back to the three button method, at least for now, because I kind of missed my overview button. Um, that I used to have. I know there's other ways to get to it, but it's really an interesting transition to try to get used to gestures. Maybe I'll give them another shot later. I probably didn't give them a fair hearing because I played with them for about two minutes and like, yeah, I don't like this. And I went back uh, to the old way. The The new gesture system isn't even default, right? That's what I'm seeing. Uh, the two button mm-hmm. method is the default. So that shows Google's confidence in the feature um, at the moment that they didn't even kind of launched on everyone um, what I do like, though, is Google's use of other things on your device. So, for instance, the Pixel users, you can squeeze the side of your phone for assistance. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. I use it all the time. There's a buried option under gesture settings to, if you swipe up, I believe it is, on the fingerprint sensor, it'll bring up notifications. So there's some kind of creative uh, things that you can do with other pieces of the phone that kind of can make it more intuitive. Are there alternatives for the TalkBack users have to learn with this new gesturing, or do you just, I mean, is it the same gestures you've been used to well, for the things that had gestures before? And that's kind of interesting. So this whole debate that's been unfolding in the, the visual community on gestures now, we've had this debate in TalkBack for five or six years. TalkBack has these famous L-shaped gestures for opening up recent apps and notifications and the back button. We've had these since TalkBack 4 or Android 4. So the same debate that played out amongst TalkBack users is now playing out amongst the mainstream. Some people love them, some people hate them. So yes, there already were TalkBack gestures for recent apps and for back. And you can also use the new gestures if you want. Basically what happens is you take any one finger Android gesture and you turn it into a two finger gesture, it'll get passed through to the application instead of getting eaten up by TalkBack. But that hasn't changed with the new scheme? No, other than that, you can use the new gestures, but you can okay. still use the old talkback ones. So I, I wrote this down, and I know very little about how they've implemented it, but there's the, the focus mode, distraction management, uh, well-being. It sounds all very warm and fun- fuzzy and crunchy. What's, what's going on with, with well-being <laughs> in Android? Uh, digital well-being was implemented in the last version of Android, so it was basically an app timer, you would set your own parameters. I can use Instagram for this amount of time per day. And then after I'm used up my 20 minutes, uh, Android will lock me out. It'll gray out the icon and say, check back tomorrow. Um, sorry, you've, you've used up. Focus mode is basically, I call it just a uh, a slightly better D&D, do not disturb, in the sense that it will not surface the notifications from apps that you choose when you jump into focus mode, nor will it allow you to enter those apps while you're in focus mode. The thing is, though, you can you can do this all. I'm, I'm laughing because you basically implement the or you turn this on manually. I think you can schedule it. I haven't quite played with it that far, but you can turn it on manually from the quick settings and sort of like put your phone into focus mode. And, okay, okay. 
Android is not going to let me jump into Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, Chrome, anything that's really distracting until I'm done doing my work or until I'm done turning off this focus mode. (laughs) (laughs) They're just trying to make it a little more friendly for folks to not stare down at their phones. And maybe for kids, it makes sense. I mean, yeah, the first thing I'm going to do is just go in and turn off the feature. Like, oh, I need to access Instagram now? Oh, yeah, I want to go in and (laughs) turn off the feature. They do have new parental controls. Uh, they do have souped up parental controls, but I don't, I don't have any kids using my phone, so I haven't really delved into right. those. Yep. But they're out there if you want to find them. They're in the digital well-being, yeah. So those are the things that are new in digital well-being. Is the focus mode completely new, or has it just been updated for ten? That's new. In okay, 10. got it. Okay. They kind of keep refining these things. You know, I think it's going to be one of those features like battery optimization or optimization where every version is going to get something a little bit new and then they can say, we've updated battery optimization. Mm-hmm. Okay, you've done that every version since five or six. I and think I read some, there's a display now, right? Or that they have updated the display in some way for, for battery? Yeah, and there's always little things here and there that kind of can uh, fix how certain parts of the battery work. Dark mode even is one that's going to help your battery slightly sure um, and now yeah. you can also turn off the battery saver it'll automatically turn off after your phone reaches 90 percent. so that's good if you just forgot to turn it off uh, when you were charging your phone i don't want to save my battery i don't want to focus i just want to go out on a limb and use my phone like a grown-up <laughs> person <laughs> so tell me about modular updates with project mainline i under- only understand like a couple of those words so <laughs> so Google's been doing a lot of work under the hood, and actually, I I do commend them because it's kind of, it's amazing what they've been able to do, I think, from a programming standpoint. So they are basically, yeah, they're cutting up Android into this modular operating system so that you can receive updates through the Play Store without having it interrupt your entire Uh, operating system all at once. So you don't have to sit there and wait for the full Google update to push through before you can use your phone. Kind of just happens in the background. Most of the time, by default, this will, your updates will happen when you are connected to Wi-Fi and you're sleeping at night, so you're not even noticing it. So a couple of years back, I forget which version this was, but Google had first modularized, to use a word, the security updates because they were fine. You know, that was a whole... Security is always a thing with Android, and they wanted to kind of try and nip that in the bud. And that proved to be pretty successful in some cases. You can easily go into your About phone and check and see what security update do I have? Do I have the latest patches? Well, now you can go in you into the about phone settings and you tap on the Android version and it says your Android security patch level, your Google Play system update. Ah. Okay, see, this is what's interesting. Uh, it used to say Project Mainline, and then I had an update today, and now it says Google Play Update. So it's basically, did you receive your updates through the Play Store? Uh, you know, it's just another way to easily update the phone without you worrying whether or not you're on the latest version. Because again, Android still has that problem with version yeah, numbers. Without carrier intervention in a lot of cases as well, especially mm-hmm. when it comes to security. It's more ways to kind of push updates through without the carrier having to approve uh, things. The other one that's very similar is cutting down on size. Did you notice uh, when I updated from beta 6 to Android Q final, it says the update size was 5 meg. That's all that was needed to get it from the last beta to current. So I, you know, obviously, I didn't have to completely download the entirety of Android Q again uh, to get to the uh, the final version. 
that was the update that I had uh, Tuesday. And then this morning, actually, while I was podcasting with Andy and Notco when we were doing material, <laughs> uh, I received another Android 10 update. And that was the one that changed Project Mainline. It used to say Project Mainline version, and now it says Google Play System Update. Yeah, Mainline sounds more like a code name of some sort that they've probably updated yeah. from now. Or a vessel. Sure. <laughs> So speaking of uh, security and privacy, that's a thing. People care about that. And apparently there, there are some updates for that, some more granular settings. Do you have a sense of whether these are good changes, whether they're just confusing? Because sometimes when companies feel compelled to do security and privacy updates, they throw a lot of stuff. I'm, thinking, I'm looking at you, Facebook, but they don't really give people a sense of how best to use them or, or how, how to control the things in the way they want to control them. And I'm, I'm projecting, so I don't have any idea whether this is relevant to Android or not, but I'm just curious whether you guys think these updates are, are good and useful. So the new thing with Android 10 is a permissions manager. And basically, you can go in and see which apps have access to what permissions. But on top of that, you can also see when they have access to these things. So location, for instance, that's the big one, uh, which I just am jumping into. And of course, it takes the longest to load because everything is using a location. So you can see which apps are allowed to access your location at all times, which means that it will do this in the background when you aren't suspecting it. And then it will also uh, show you which apps are only allowed those permissions while they're in use. Uh, I choose, you know, Google Maps, for instance, I put in that category because I don't want it to use up a bunch of battery when I'm not using it. And you can also choose which apps are denied completely uh, location usage. And it used to be... I think it used to be that if you denied it, like you could allow you could allow to deny it, but it would break some things. And I think this is supposed to be like a more user friendly way of choosing your permissions. Uh, but I always think of these sort of features as very uh, uh, power user features, even though they're they are available immediately in the settings. It's it's not a fun like setting to go through. It, you really have to like think about it. Right. Well, one thing the average user may notice is the notifications that pop up now from time to time mm-hmm. when an app is being uh, using location in the background. And, and apparently, I'm not sure when Google decides to display which app is doing this, but it is now surfacing, hey, this app is using location in the background. Click here to change this. And there are some apps where I've noticed that it's popped up. I'm like, wait a minute, I don't think I want you doing this. Of course, one of the betas, they made every app do this just as a test, just to confuse everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, but to surface that of notifications does put a little more front and center as far as the uh, the privacy and like, hey, this app is doing location. So it might make some developers rethink, do I really want this location uh, running in the background? Because now everyone's going to know about it. But, I mean, that's a thing that I notice with iOS, especially if you get a new device and certainly if you get new apps, but that there's always this set of uh, permissions. I want notifications access. I want microphone or camera access or whatever. And I think for some people that's probably comforting. For some people it's just yeah. annoying because of the volume updates. Does, does it feel like Google has a pretty good handle on the right level of annoyance to, to get you to set your notifications the way you want them? Depends what you're looking to do. Yeah. I mean, the the location prompt, and I believe this is a copy of iOS. Now it says so and so wants to use your location. Do you want to allow it always, or just while using the app, or never? Is the the choices where it used to just be allow or deny, and so that that I think helps. Kind of makes you think a little bit about 
do I really want this app dealing with things all the time? Now, mind you, some apps might need background location and it's going to be up to the app developer to kind of convey this need uh, before they pop up the box. Otherwise, people are just going to instinctively say, no, I don't want you to have my, my location all the time at all. So Google, along with the other uh, major operating system developers this spring, uh, made big splash with accessibility. I think everybody was trying to say, look, here's accessibility. We're putting it front and center. We're doing more. And Google, probably just for the sheer number of features, probably wins the prize. And one of the features that they uh, touted most vigorously was something called Live Transcribe. We've got a whole list of accessibility features, but why why don't we start there and talk about what Live Transcribe is and how it's come out in the final version of, of Android 10. So there are actually two variants. There's Live Transcribe, which is live now. Um, You can enable it through the developer options. Uh, And what that does is it adds a little accessibility icon. Oh, well, it just disappeared after I changed launchers. Oh, it disappeared because I'm doing gestures now. Sorry. So when you're doing the two button uh, (laughs) navigation mechanism on your phone, you will see a little accessibility icon at the bottom. And you can hit that icon while you are talking, while you're listening to a podcast, so that anything that your microphone is picking up, it transcribes for you. It works in various languages. I tried it with uh, my spoken Romanian last night, and it worked pretty darn well. I tried it with several podcasts uh, that I listened to, and I loved, kind of loved how uh, quick and on the ball it was with that. But then there's also live captions. And so we were supposed to see that as part of Android 10's, it was kind of one of the marquee features to come with it. But I don't think we're going to get this until maybe later this fall. I think they're still kind of working on it. But live captions is supposed to be for any video that you have on screen. So if you're in a, if you're on Twitch, for instance, and, um, you know, somebody didn't enable captions, uh, which by the way, it's super easy to do. If anybody wants to call me up, I'll show you how to do it. Super easy. Um, then you will have Android will do it for you. So Android will kind of listen into what the video is saying and immediately transcribe it for you. So that you can either watch the stream without uh, listening to it, or uh, you can know what the heck is, yeah, what's being said. One of the things that ends up being a niche of a niche with this, and I'm not entirely clear of whether this has been addressed yet, although I'm sure it's on Google's radar, is live captioning and transcription being a great accessibility tool for people who are deafblind and use braille displays connected to their phones. Um, I do not believe this is entirely there yet. I would love to be corrected mm. if I'm wrong on that one yet, but obviously this creates a whole possibility of access for people who are deafblind and wanting to uh, read podcasts or videos or other things that they come across. It's another big um, accessibility possibility um, that just hasn't been entirely developed yet. I've actually played with on, on, on YouTube, which I guess, I mean, that's where the, the technology is already being implemented. But, you know, you're, you're scrolling through YouTube videos and there's transcription across the video that you're not even you're not even playing the video. So it's a sort of a preview and a come on to, hey, look at this video. And so I hadn't I, I knew that live transcribe was coming to the rest of the operating system in terms of your ability to, to see it via videos. But it seems like. It's been up and running on YouTube for a while, and it seems to work pretty well. It's It's been in a few places. Also on the Hangouts Meet, uh, the mm-hmm. business uh, chat service now, you can live transcribe uh, essentially or, li- or people as they're talking, and it's very accurate. 
It is and it is. No, I I haven't used the Hangouts one. I'm sorry. I I was referring to the Twitch one that I mentioned earlier. It's like a plugin that I added to my Twitch stream to add captions. And sometimes I I get a little concerned because I'm like, oh, this is not like a perfect translation of what's being said. But it's better than nothing. <laughs> well, a lot point. of it depends on yeah, and a lot of it depends on the audio that you're getting. Hangouts, Meet, Google has access to each person's audio stream separately, and that has to help. Oh yeah, absolutely. Versus like Twitch, where it's all probably just like it a can't bunch separate of, it or a yeah, YouTube exactly. video even. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, that's super interesting. I'll be curious to see how well it works and how well it works with say talkback so that if you're watching a video and you want or you want some sort of access to transcription, is it going to fight talkback or is there a way for you to route it or something like that? And is it good enough to replace, you know, say for a podcast, human transcription for a podcast? We'll get to that point at some point. Live transcribe just as I've been playing with it uh, with regards to podcasts. It works, but it's definitely not perfect. All right, live transcribe. Listen up. <laughs> so there are some features in uh, Android 10 for hearing uh, users with hearing impairments, and maybe we don't have a lot of details on them, but there's a sound amplifier. There's the ability to, I don't know if it's quite mono audio, but the I watched a video where they were demonstrating it where you could actually use a slider to move where the audio was in the stereo spectrum to, to make it easier for you to hear. And then there's apparently better hearing aid support. iOS is always sort of led the pack as far as that goes. But do either of you know anything about the new features for uh, folks with hearing impairments? Um, as far as the, the question, as far as the, the slider, yeah. So you can now control if you want all of your sound to come out of the left side, right side, or a bit of both. That's a stereo mix. So if you have better hearing on one side or the other, you could balance it out to make match your hearing. Uh, mono audio is already there. Um, I'm not sure if that was in Pi, but it's, I was looking through accessibility. It is there as an option now. So you could um, combine either or both of those. They're kind of uh, separate things. And then the hearing aid support, I was talking to um, my friend Scott, who has been on my podcast several times and is really on top of these type of things. And it is definitely one of those things. Latency for hearing aids is a huge deal. So anything that can cut down that latency and make it so you have more of a real-time uh view of what's around you is very helpful. So that's definitely one of those features that's not going to get a lot of press, but probably for the people that could use it will be huge. I also feel like there's probably a lot that we don't know as people who either don't use hearing aids or who don't make them because a lot of what iOS was able to do and what they tout is that they worked with hearing aid manufacturers and they have a protocol. And so I don't know how closely uh, Google or and when the phone makers would have to be working with the hearing aid manufacturers. And here's the challenge of hearing aids, just to explain to those who may not uh, realize as much, you have two things. If you're using a hearing aid and speech, you're hearing your device media slash talkback uh, information coming through your hearing aid. The goal is to combine that into one device. You don't want to have to wear a hearing aid and another headset. You want them both there, and you want them both to be synced up as you know latency-free as possible. Well, let's talk about TalkBack and, uh, by extension, I guess, BrailleBack. Anything new in TalkBack or better performance? Or what, what do we need to know about Android 10 and TalkBack? BrailleBack? No, let's go move on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. No news is bad news? Or? Okay, so TalkBack, there's a minor things. The... the Trajectory for TalkBack is generally this, and this is not unique to TalkBack, as many of your listeners know. Android does a lot of the core updates in the numbered releases, what's now the number of releases, and then the other apps, such as Chrome or 
maps or Play Store will get separate updates to kind of build on the new features. Same thing with TalkBack. There's been a couple of newer, small accessibility changes for developers. There'll be likely a new round of TalkBack releases soon. Last TalkBack update was in the end of March. Um, there has been a couple of little things that can be kind of big things, though, for the right people. One is you can now use a Bluetooth keyboard if you have it connected to turn on and off TalkBack with Control-Alt-Z, which is the same shortcut that is used in Chrome. Um, you can also, as of a month or two ago, if you have a Pixel phone, tell the Google Assistant to turn on and off TalkBack. It's, it's a minor thing, but definitely one, if I grab a, a random person's phone, it makes it a little easier to turn on speech um, and use those accessibility features. But the other things, TalkBack-wise, you know, I'm sure there will be updates to support some of the new features that are, that are coming in, but a lot of things won't necessarily be very noticeable uh, until later. Anything uh, new with Braille? That's been an issue for people for a long time, uh, and Google is very well aware of it. But did, did anything happen in, in 10, or is there any uh, announcements about stuff going forward, uh, improvements to Brailleback? Empty promises. I mean... Uh, I've, I've, I've definitely passed the point in my life where I'm giving Google the benefit of the doubt, doubt on this. It's been way too long. Braille, I realize, is a very niche feature, and most people are going to be, well, what does Braille matter? Why are people even using Braille anymore? They can hear everything. But Braille, for power users, can allow you to both hear your phone and read your phone at the same time. And a lot of your influencers in the blind community or the talkback community use Braille. So by extension, they're not choosing to move to Android. And that is usually the one reason given why they wouldn't move to Android is because there's not enough Braille support there. There's been talks of doing betas. There's been a lot of, you know, we're going to work on this. I think the issue is much deeper than the Android accessibility team. There are some great people on that team. Something needs to go higher up to influence the importance of having Braille as a core accessibility feature for those that do need it. Yeah, because it's not a matter of sort of halfway decent Braille. It's just, it's not there. There's And iOS well, sort of rules the roost as far as Braille's concerned, which not only includes Braille power it, users, but it, it, it includes uh, deaf-blind folks, as we were talking about before. Yeah, it's there, but it's not, it's every half-baked. Half I mean, you can connect a Braille display. You can do most things that you can do on a keyboard. But pretty much every five or ten minutes, I come across something that uh, there's no Braille command to do the thing that I'm trying to do and end up having to reach over to my phone. You know, and also for deafblind users, there is no way to independently connect a Braille display and start accessibility. You always have to have someone else do it first. So that's a deal breaker for them. Right. So uh, you put Lookout on the show notes. So let's talk about that. That's been out since it's last year, right? That's uh, a Pi thing or before? It was talked about last year. It finally came out in March. Uh, this year, which is the only reason I put it on here, kind of came out the same time as Live Transcribe. And it provides access to printed text. There are other apps that do this, but Google's done a pretty good job of allowing you to do several things. You can identify barcodes and link them to products. You can read short text. Uh, you can get scene descriptions, uh, among other things. And you can also, one of the more unique things they've done with Lookout is as you're waving your phone around, it will identify objects and tell you where they are in relation to you. So it'll say, you know, chair at 10 o'clock, cup at 2 o'clock. It's mildly useful. I've never really used it to find things, but I can, it's definitely a, an interesting approach. Instead of just saying, I see a chair, it's actually kind of trying to give you a little more of where things are in relationship to you. And that could be very useful if you start to identify, say, like a bus stop sign. 
um, or things as you're traveling or a door. And I kind of misspoke. It's not an operating system feature. It's an app. But so it came out Correct. in March of this year. Yeah. Correct. Although it's getting updates. Yes. Anything else in accessibility or other features that we need to talk about before I move on to another? This is how it is on iOS question. I mentioned Toast. I'll just mention it really briefly. Uh, one of the things that pops up in any operating system is you have these little messages that'll pop up for a couple seconds. So it'll say, you know, and it could be an important information like your transaction has been approved and it will pop up for a couple seconds and then go away. Well, for some users, that becomes a big challenge because they didn't actually hear or notice what that message said before it went off the screen. So there's an option that now lets you extend these types of messages. They're called Toasts and make them either appear indefinitely or for a much longer period of time. Now, that's going to be one of those things that developers are going to have to really buy into. So mm -hmm. we'll see how far it actually goes. But it is one approach to solving uh, that issue. Whenever I've dipped my toe into Android, I had an Android tablet back in the day. I've had a couple of Android devices, but I've never switched over via phone. And the, the thing I don't know much about is how easy it is to get an Android device and continue to move through operating system updates. Uh, because that's, you know, iOS is now saying it in terms of, well, you have to have this chip in order to use the current operating system. And Apple likes to say X number of users are on the latest operating system. Obviously, they have a different kind of a stake because they're making both the phones and the software. But I, I guess I, I'd love to hear some conversation about uh, versioning in both hardware and software in the Android universe and, and how what's the best way to sort of make sure that you're not having to buy a phone every year so that you can get the newest version of Android? Buy a pixel. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. That's what we I both mean, have. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it's a real... So we, around the Android circles this week, we've been talking about, like, which manufacturers are going to push Android 10 out? Usually the ones that push them out the fastest are the manufacturers that have specific development teams uh, dedicated to software updates who don't have to contend with carrier updates. So uh, OnePlus has been pretty good about that, actually. Um, and they now work on a variety of American carriers. So that's been really nice for OnePlus users. Uh, Essential Phone is another one that, again, they don't have to really contend with the carriers. And I think Essential Phone was only sold through Sprint. So when you only have like one carrier to deal with, I feel like that's not, not as many roadblocks. Um, Xiaomi, which is not available in the U.S., but is available worldwide, they're also pretty good about uh, coming out quickly with Android updates. And then, of course, here in America, if you want a quick update, if you want it exactly when Google puts it out, you got to get a Pixel. Because if you get a Samsung phone, Samsung really deals with the carriers, not only, there's also so many features that itself puts into the software that has to be uh, kind of fixed up to work with uh, whatever the new version of Android is. And so when you have all these like little features that go in, I imagine that just adds more hurdles, more complications in development. Even thinking about it kind of gives me a bit of a headache because I'm just thinking <laughs> about like everything that has to be um, fine-tuned to work together. And I think the last I heard, Samsung phones, the latest ones, will not be updated until uh, I think T-Mobile's the soonest. They said sometime later this year. And then... A lot of folks are kind of just saying, okay, well, maybe next year I'll have Android 10, 
which by then we'll have a new Samsung. We'll have our beta. But it's carrier specific? (laughs) I mean, that's that's wacky to me, but uh, interesting. Carrier updates are a bigger deal in the Android world than they are elsewhere. Yeah, because carriers, I mean, Verizon has its own set of apps that it has to include, and so all that stuff has to work with it. Uh, Sprint, T-Mobile have their own set of apps. AT&T has their own. It's just, it's it's better just buy an unlocked phone directly from Google if you can. And every time you see an article about how the process is going to get improved, I mean, don't buy into that hype too much. I will say, yes, the phones that Flo has mentioned, there are more phones now that are on the Android One program. So if you're going to look for a phone and you for some right. reason don't like the Pixels, get one of those because at least some of them are already getting Android 10 updates. And that's Project but, Fi, by the way, if anybody in the US wants a carrier that, because that's Google. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, the one good thing, I guess, the update cycle or the relevance of your older phone, especially if you're on the Pixels, has been extended now. So the Pixel 1s, which was a 2016 mm-hmm. phone, are getting Android 10. That was not promised or expected. I know for Apple users, that's nothing, but that you know that's a fourth year now of updates for those phones. And you can, if you just want to dabble in the latest Android, you probably won't get any more updates, but you can get Pixel 1s for 100 bucks used. Mm-hmm. Um, the 3A has made it possible to get a slightly lower end phone if you don't want to buy in on an $800 phone and you want something current. I'm sure that will get the updates for at least the next two or three years. So there are more ways uh, to do it now, but you know that's one thing I've always been jealous of. So the iPhone 6s is getting updates this year. That's year five uh, for the iPhone 6s, and obviously it's going to probably be the last year for that. But that really has helped. The other thing, though, like I mentioned before, there's so many apps that are not dependent on the OS. So you're going to still get Chrome updates and Play Store updates and Maps updates. All these other things are going to update because they support Android versions back four or five deep. So you can get updates on those for a long time, even without a new version of the OS. Yeah, I guess the issue is if you have a specific need for a new up, uh, OS feature like the accessibility things we were talking about or if there's just something you're excited about. And I would assume that integration with things like Assistant and all the other Google services do get better with new operating system updates. Yep, I'd agree. Mm-hmm. And the Pixels, I, the, I remember when the Pixel 3a came out and the reviews were so positive and I actually considered like going to get one just to have a current Android device. So I guess I'd just be curious in what your general feelings are about the Pixel line of phones, aside from just making sure that you can always update to the latest Android operating system, are those good phones to choose? Yes, absolutely. Uh, I have been using the Pixel now for, well, basically since the Pixel 1 came out, I I have all four of them in my possession, and they, Google really, Google really wanted its own iPhone. I mean... Sorry, I'm saying that out loud, but it's kind of it's kind of what it is. It wanted a phone that it had complete control over when it comes to software updates. It wanted a phone that it could push through its features and show people uh, what it was doing behind the scenes. As far as like photography goes, the that's the reason I use the Pixel. I love night sight. I love the uh, the camera capabilities on the phones are kind of, in my opinion, some of the best after years of testing some of the other phones. Um, You'll even see that now if you read like a Samsung review, like the disparities between phones and and camera sensors and things of the sort. Uh, It also, the experience is just straight from Google. When I dropped my phone and broke it, 
in front of uh, Marilyn Monroe's house in Palm Springs. It's like a whole story that has been like going around. Yes, uh, how I got haunted by her ghost. But anyway, uh, I... Granted, it still cost me a bit of money, and it's because I didn't pay for the warranty plan. Again, that's like akin to Apple Care. There's a reason that they want you to buy into that because these things do happen. Uh, but I went directly through Google support. I sent my phone back to them. They fixed it up for me. I actually think they gave me a new phone, but I never quite looked into that to see if that was true. And um, and it was a speedy process, and yeah, it cost me money, but. I didn't really have that experience with Android before the Pixel program. It used to be just pray that you have uh, quote unquote insurance through your carrier. You would pay them whatever, like five, ten dollars a month and then hope that they would cover whatever damage happened to your phone. But now it's kind of nice to be able to go straight to Google when you have a problem with Android. That is very nice. The the other thing too, I mean, the Pixel phones end up kind of being the testing ground for new features, even on mm-hmm. accessibility. Lookout, which I mentioned a little while ago, was a Pixel app first and for a couple months That's even right. until they started adding it to other phones. So if you want to be on the latest and cutting edge, having the Pixel phones gives you that opportunity. And you, and you kind of, you know, avoid some of these accessibility pitfalls. I had a Galaxy S7 and there was a good six months in time where the labels, so the accessibility labels to tell you uh, for Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, et cetera, were backwards. So it would say Wi-Fi on when it was off. And it would say off when it was on. Now, if that had happened on a Pixel, which it wouldn't have, but suppose it had, a fix would have been pushed within a week or two to get that going. But Samsung, I don't even know who to contact for accessibility at Samsung. Well, you've convinced me. I, yeah. If I if I get a, if I get an Android phone, I guess it's going to have to be a Pixel. <laughs> oh, you, you know what? You would do great with a Pixel 3a. It's not like yeah. super expensive. You get access to all those new features, and you still have access to some of the cool uh, camera features. Very cool. I think we should wrap up this show, but before we do, we should do our one more thing question. This is very hard-hitting journalistic questions. I'm going to ask you, uh, Android has done away with the snacks, as we uh, discussed earlier, for codenames. Uh, if you had the chance to go to Google and say, one more, just let's do one more snack, forget the letter of the alphabet, but uh, what would your Google operating system snack of choice be? For a second, I was kind of trying to think if there was an R snack, but then I gave up on that. Um, my big thing in life, I guess, is cheese. So I was somewhere between Cheez-Its and cheese balls and cheddar cheese. You know, at least at least cheddar cheese. I mean, I think that pretty much translate internationally. If that's your, your goal is to try to translate across boundaries, then let's just find a universally accepted thing. Now, there probably are some countries that don't really like cheese. Well, sorry for them. It probably works better than cheese balls, I am going to say, my favorite, <laughs> my favorite snack that I don't get to have often, but when I see a bag of these, I immediately grab them, Cool Ranch Doritos. Yum. <laughs> Which, Doritos, I am told, is a global brand. I see them around airports everywhere, okay? So I'm just going to go ahead and say it's a global brand. And Ranch the- Doritos, perfect. Well, the Cool Ranch, I, when I was in Iceland a couple of years ago for a wedding, uh, they're called American Ranch over there. So, Is there an Iceland Ranch version? I, I was going to say, I do not know what that means, but okay, I'll take it. <laughs> it's like a ranch is apparently a very American flavor. So, but whatever, Cool Ranch is the best. I, uh, It's just, hmm. so you just want the cool, the cool ranch operating system. I think that works. I do. Hmm, why not? I'd buy that. 
All right, Even then. if it wasn't accessible, I'd buy it. Here you go, Google. We've, we've solved your problem that you didn't know you had for you. Well, I want to thank my guests, Florence Ion and JJ Meadow, for joining me again to school me on the androids. But before they go, I would love to give each of them an opportunity to tell us where they can be found online. JJ, why don't you start? Sure. So my company is AT Guys. AT stands for Access Technology. So that is over at ATGuys.com. We sell technology products. We do consulting. We do training. Anyone who wants to make their Android app accessible, which, you know, in other words, making it usable for everyone, we can certainly help you with that. And we're also on the the Blind Bargains cast. It's more about technology, less about the bargains at this point. But, you know, the brand is there, so it's what it is. And so that's over at BlindBargains.com or search for the Search for Blind Bargains on iTunes or, oh, I'm sorry, we're on Android, sure. Search for it on Google Podcasts <laughs> and you'll find also, it Also, thanks thanks to your co-host, you also cover snacks every once in a while. I should have had him yes, on to absolutely. ask him about snacks. He would have said yeah, some sort of did. weird Oreo flavor that nobody's ever heard of, but anyway. That's true. Flo, where can people find you on the internets? Uh, I am just, uh, best place to find me is florenceion.com just to see uh, what I'm writing around the web. Uh, I'm here on the Relay FM network on material every week with Annie Anatko. And I'm also on the Twit network every week on All About Android. So just come come find me and let's talk about Android. <laughs> let's talk about Android. We don't do that enough, especially around here. Uh, thanks, you guys, for being on. You can find out more about this show at relay.fm slash parallel. If you're not subscribed for some reason, Google Podcasts works, that other company's podcast, Overcast, whatever you like. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Parallel Pods. You can follow me directly on Twitter at Shelley and school me some more about Android. We'll be back in two weeks with another show that may or may not be about an operating system I use every day. Bye now. <laughs>